Welcome into Words with Wallace. I'm your host, Nick Wallace. Coming at you here, it is Monday, uh, March 13th. Just me for this podcast today. I uh, had to take a rain check with my guy, Ian Kayanja, uh, who is, was supposed to be joining us. We're going to push that to next week. He's a, a credentialed media member for the Dallas Mavericks, co-worker of mine, uh, awesome guy, and we're looking forward to having him on to talk some Mavericks next week. Uh, so anyway, we, we had to push that back, but Wanted to come at you because, you know, it's been a pretty fun week of basketball, if I do say so. A lot of stuff going down. Um, you know, we have some big storylines around the MVP debate, which we'll get into. But above all else, um, you know, Brian Windhorst fingers, Windy fingers, I, I wanted to ask, what's going on? What's going on in the Western Conference, right? I, I feel like there's a lot of turmoil with some of the top teams in the Western Conference that uh, we'll be going over in a little bit here, kind of breaking down. Um, what's going on with some of the top teams in the West. But uh, before I get into that, I wanted to give my two cents on the MVP because that was um, a highly debated topic on, on virtually every sports talk media show and radio show and whatnot over the past week. Um, and not exactly my thoughts on the debate because and, and who I'm going to pick to win it uh, because there's still you know between 15 and 20 games left in the regular season. And um, I prefer to kind of wait until it's all said and done to pick who I think is going to be uh, ultimately, or should be the MVP, uh, but it, it's down to a three-man race, right? It's it's between uh, Nikola Jokic, uh, winner of the past two seasons, Joel Embiid, and Giannis, uh, of course, as, as the three men uh, kind of left standing in this race. I think guys like Tatum and, and Doncic, uh, Luka, that is, have kind of fallen down the standings a little bit. And so um, I think no matter who you pick out of those three, I, I think there's a great argument to be made. And um, that's kind of why I had an issue with it, because it got really nasty. Um, uh, when Kendrick Perkins, of course, former Boston Celtic and, and now current Sports Talk Media member for ESPN, uh, jumped on first take earlier last week and um, pointed out, you know, he pointed out that uh, the voter base for MVP, I believe there's 100 media members that, that go, they get a vote each year for the MVP. Uh, he pointed out that the vast majority of them were white people. Uh, while that's a, a certainly a, a valid criticism and a valid concern, I think he said that there were 80% white people that were voting for that award. Uh, I think ESPN had to come out and be like, nope, it's actually 68%, which still isn't isn't great as far as diversity goes. You'd probably like to see that percentage a bit lower. Um, but the reason why he brought that up is he was essentially suggesting that this may have gone into uh, the logic behind Jokic winning MVP the past two seasons. And so... That's really what, what kind of frustrates you know me and, and frustrates a lot of other people because it really just kind of discredits the season that Jokic had the past couple of years. I think you know both of those debates, you know he was mostly the consensus choice. I think he was very deserving of winning those awards. And so it kind of stinks to see somebody's achievements get discredited and it becomes a really nasty debate where you need to be really buttoned up on how you approach speaking on that. So I, I really don't want to get into it too much, but... Um, it just really sucks that it, it came down to that, and especially because, as I mentioned, I think this year it's it's super close. I think there's a great argument for Jokic. There's incredible arguments for Embiid and Giannis. Um, and so it stinks that with 15 games left in the season, there's still a lot of, you know, valuable basketball to be played that people are already having this debate. So I did just want to, you know, throw in my two cents that I, I really didn't like how that was all going down in, in sports talk media. And so I wanted to give my two cents and say that, you know, people should definitely pump the brakes and, you know, wait at least till the end of the season to have the debate and maybe keep it focused on basketball because there's really not a wrong answer, in my opinion. It's not like we're talking about a guy putting up, you know, 20 and five on a losing team and he's in the debate, you know, because of, of what he looks like, you know, it, it's certainly not a situation like that. Um, and so I, you know, you'd like to see that debate be kind of put on hold for the next couple of weeks, but 
that's not what gets viewers. That's not what, you know, people want to see on, on sports talk TV. So um, I would just recommend to everybody listening that it, I'm sure a lot of people that are listening to this kind of share my sentiment, being a little frustrated with, with how it was all approached would say uh, buckle up because it's going to get a lot worse. You know, there's still a lot, you know, if it's this nasty already, I don't have a lot of optimism that the debate's going to get any more calm and civil unless we, we have a clear runaway favorite, like God forbid, um, you know, Giannis is injury. He stays out longer or Embiid or Jokic gets banged up. Then maybe we'll have a clear winner, but you know, assuming something like that doesn't happen, I think it's going to be really close and down to the wire. Um, just to give my two cents on who I think would win. I, I think if I had to pick someone, I would pick Joel Embiid. I just think that, you know, the nuggets have been on a bit of a slide, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And Giannis has, you know, basically been out since the all-star break. And so him, you know, not playing is, is obviously not good for his, you know, chances of winning the award. So I just kind of like the direction that Embiid's, you know, trending for, for those betting folks out there. I know uh, my dogs in Massachusetts now have sports betting legal, which is pretty exciting. So, um, you know, if you're looking at Embiid plus 210, I, I kind of like his odds. Um, you know, before I, I jump off and, and focus on the Western Conference, I think, you know, my other frustration with the award, which I know I'm just kind of venting about right now, but... You know, I really think it's important that, especially in a debate like this, you know, when it, that's become a little bit more heated, become a little bit more nasty, has these racial implications and whatnot. Uh, I think it's really important that the NBA executes the announcement of the award and, and the timing of that. Um, I hope that they make that make sense. Um, for those that don't know, in the past couple of years, they, they, you know, I think two years ago, they tried out like an award ceremony approach, which was kind of held at the end of the season, which really doesn't make sense because these awards, like this is a, a regular season award. It's for the most valuable NBA player during the 2022-23 NBA season. Um, it doesn't really make sense to, you know, announce the winner of that after the playoffs because then people get kind of confused as to what, you know, the judgment period for that award is. Um, so I think it would make a lot of sense if the league kind of capitalizes on, you know, that time between the end of the regular season and the start of the playoffs. So the season ends this year on April 9th and the playoffs don't start until the 15th. You have almost a full week in there where I think it would be important to announce the winners of this because, you know, people should have their ballots submitted by like the 10th or the 11th. And then, you know, hopefully you can churn out those votes pretty quick. And, you know, again, this isn't just the MVP award that could be given out, it could be coach of the year, six man, most improved, all, you know, the clutch award, all the other stuff that they're looking to do, you know, maybe even announce the first and second NBA teams and the rookie teams, defensive teams, all that stuff. Um, but I think it's important that that stuff comes out right after the end of the NBA season, because another storyline that was super frustrating last year was, um, you know, essentially, I think they announced the award, you know, the MVP award winner on May 11th of, of last year. Um, and for reference, that was basically right in the middle of round two of the NBA playoffs. And so, of course, as I mentioned, Jokic won it. And, you know, he had just been eliminated basically a week before by the Golden State Warriors. And you had a, a bunch of, you know, commentary and backlash like, oh, this is this is your MVP. He's at home right now. Like, wh why would you give the award to this guy? And it's like, well, because this team kind of sucked. And he, you know, didn't have a lot to work with talent-wise. And they happened to run into the best team in the NBA, which we, we found out last year was the Warriors. So... You know, I think it avoids that sort of frustration of people. You know, we haven't even got to the point in the argument where, you know, people are upset about playoff success and playoff resumes and people are making the award to be about a bunch of other things besides what it truly is about, which is about um, success, you know, in this current NBA season. And again, we have three candidates that have achieved a really high level of success. I, I wish them all the best in, in the close of the season. 
Uh, it's going to come down to the wire. Uh, I think it's going to be really fun. Embiid and Jokic have another matchup later in the season. Uh, again, hopefully, you know, that'll determine the award um, for some people, I would imagine, depending on how that goes. I know Embiid kind of dominated Jokic the last time that they played. So um, definitely mark that game down on the calendars. And then uh, we, we certainly hope to see Giannis back on the court as well. So last thing on the awards um, before we jump into the Western Conference preview real quick, um, something that I had mentioned during in my podcast last week with RJ, actually, um, you know, we were kind of talking about the awards and, you know, load. Actually, I think we were more, more along the lines of discussing load management and, and ways to contain that. And one of the things that I had suggested was like, hey, there should be a minimum game re- requirement um, for these NBA players to play and still be eligible for major awards such as the MVP. And I took it a step further and said even for, you know, the beginning of the season to be eligible for the All-Star game, to be selected as an All-Star, to be selected for first team All-NBA and All-Defense, all that stuff. You know, we're not quite at that point yet, but it was announced today, um, Sham Sharania of The Athletic, you know, he announced that the league and the um, NBA Players Association is actually under negotiations at this time to set in place uh, requirements, uh, game games played requirements to be eligible for the major award. So again, this isn't the all-star game. Nobody really cares about that. It's not first team all to NBA because that has implications as far as the contracts that people can can receive. Um, so they're not at that point yet. I'm sure the players will be against that. Uh, but they are at the point where it, it, it's a requirement for MVP. It's a requirement for, I would imagine, like most improved defensive player of the year, stuff like that. I think something like that, again, would be really cool to have. Hey, you have to play in 55 games. You have to play in 60 games to be eligible for these awards because, you know, you'll, you're going to have guys at the end of the season, especially in this era of load management, that, you know, finish the season playing in around that number of games and, and you have to kind of weigh whether they should be eligible. And, you know, maybe this player was more dominant in their 57 games, but the other guy played 80 games. It's like, you know, if we could just set a minimum requirement, maybe that doesn't go into the, the thought process as much for the voters. And um, it could be a little bit more clear and concise when we discuss who, who wins these awards. So with that, let's finally jump into the meat and potatoes of this podcast because uh, again, what is going on in the Western Conference? It, it seems like, you know, all of the top teams, except for one, which we'll talk about, um, have had pretty terrible vibes and, and are struggling with their own issues. And I feel like the West is way more wide open um, for who eventually is going to come out on top and, and represent the Western Conference in the finals. Um, it's far more wide open than it's been at any point this season, in my opinion, um, which is pretty interesting. And, and so since we just kind of talked about them in the MVP debate, let's let's discuss the Nuggets. Um, for those that don't know, the Nuggets are on a bit of a three-game slide, um, and I think that that's relevant, you know, three games, whatever, but they've been a, obviously atop the Western Conference standings all year, so this is kind of unlike them. Beyond that, I think there are some additional concerns. You know, they lose three straight to pretty terrible opponents. Uh, you got the Bulls, the Spurs, and they just lost, you know, a real close one yesterday against the Nets. Um, and in doing that, you know, the team is healthy. So that's, you know, it's not like they're missing a Jamal Murray. They're not missing a Michael Porter Jr., two guys who have struggled with health for, you know, basically their entirety of their careers. Um, and so you're, you're kind of sitting there asking yourself, like, what, what is the issue with this? Like, why, why is this happening? Um, it's certainly not Jokic in, in his play. You know, he's averaging his 30, 14, and 10 on insane shooting during this three-game slide. Um, and this is kind of in the aftermath of him, you know, a lot of people saying he needed to be more aggressive. He was shooting less than ever before. He's you know, kind of increase the number of shots, at least during this losing streak where he's up to 30 points a game, which is pretty impressive. But, you know, there's definitely concerns around this team. You know, you would hope to see a team like Denver that has had, you know, pretty good health compared to the rest of the conference really hit their stride. You know, this is really 
you know, as I said before, it's nut crunch time. You're really trying to get your rotations down. You're trying to get things ironed out before the playoffs. And to have a pretty inexcusable slide against some subpar opponents is, is really disappointing. Um, I think the main reason why is, you know, if I had to pick a reason from what I'm seeing, it's they're really not getting much from their, they're getting nothing from the guys they acquired around the trade deadline. I believe Reggie Jackson was a buyout and then they, they acquired Thomas Bryant via trade. Um, those were two guys that I expected to play, you know, pretty major pieces in their rotation and they're just not, um, they're basically both out of the rotation. They've averaged, you know, four points a game combined those two. Um, so it's been pretty ugly. And I think that, you know, I was certainly hoping that Thomas Bryant was going to take some of the DeAndre Jordan minutes and they'd have, you know, some size to really just survive the non-Jokic minutes. That's really the, the main thing that they need to figure out as a team. Um, and those guys have not helped, you know, fight that cause. So uh, it's been a pretty disappointing slide from the Nuggets. I think it, it you know, matters more for Jokic's MVP candidacy than it does for the outlook of, of that team on a whole. Um, but I am going to put a bow on this at the end and kind of discuss who I think is going to come out of the West after all this. But um, that's kind of where, where, you know, Denver is, and, and you'd like to see them pick it back up within the next couple. Uh, I think a more interesting storyline is, is Phoenix, right? Let's let's shift gears and talk about Phoenix because uh, we got a glimpse, very much a glimpse of, of what that team looks like with Kevin Durant, and predictably, it was awesome. I mean, Durant, you know, he's as much of a plug-and-play superstar as you're going to get, you know, his... He somehow finds a way to get his 25, 30 points a game, no matter what situation he's in. And he does so in a way that doesn't piss anybody else off on the team. That doesn't take away shots from, you know, people that he's playing alongside. Like he fits seamlessly alongside Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton. Um, and they win 3-0 during that stretch. So, you know, granted, it was a pretty weak stretch of opponents. I think the only game that was really a lot of fun was, the, you know, the Dallas game, which was last Sunday, I want to say. Um, which was a blast. And again, Phoenix was 3-0 with Kevin Durant. But as most of you guys probably saw, he was, I think he, I don't know exactly who they were playing, but he was about to make his home debut for the Suns um, and he slipped and sprained his ankle on camera and warm up. It's pretty, you know, weird video to watch. It's it's out there on Twitter if you guys want to look it up, but tweaked his ankle and they're just, you know, playing it super safe with him. And they're like, yep, we're going to evaluate him in three weeks. So where does that leave us with Kevin Durant? Because, again, as I mentioned, they've played three games together. You know, assuming, and this is just assuming that everything with this rehab is if, you know, the information that's available to us. Um, assuming that his injury, you know, they, they reevaluate it in three weeks and he's immediately good to play. He, they will have six games left in the season at that point. So, again, assuming everything goes well, he will have played nine games in a Suns uniform. And really the question is, is that enough time? For, for Phoenix to figure it out and be a real threat to come out of the West. And I, th I I kind of, you know, I don't necessarily have an answer to that. I think, you know, the big determining factor is, you know, is this rehab going to go as planned? And is he actually going to get those six games? I think the really fun wrinkle to that stretch is like the last six games of the season for the Suns is actually pretty brutal. Um, twice in that stretch, we're going to see them play Denver. Uh, we're going to see them play the Clippers once. We're going to see them play the Lakers once. So that's a pretty gruesome stretch. You know, four of your last six teams are, are pretty legit foes in the Western Conference. Um, you know, again, the first game back for Durant, he would be playing, you know, the Nuggets. So you, you can't really imagine he'd play in that one. Um, but again, we should see him play against some of the best, you know, players in the conference if he were to return on schedule. So, you know, I just wanted to throw it out there that this is 
this has really never worked. This is, you know, that short of a time. There's no precedent for a team acquiring a superstar player at the trade deadline and then immediately being able to, you know, compete for a title within that same season and, you know, ultimately win the whole thing. It's just, it's never happened before. I tried to kind of do some research on it. I really didn't find any any precedent where this has worked. So I think that that's pretty interesting. But it might for the Suns. It, it really might. I mean, they did look that good when they were together and, you know, the whole point of this podcast is highlighting, you know, the flaws and bad vibes with most of these teams in the Western Conference. So, you know, something worth throwing out there. I think the West is wide open. So if, if you're a believer in Kevin Durant and you're a believer, you know, you think that that health bet, you know, you, you think it's it's just an ankle tweak, it'll be fine. And, you know, I'm sure Chris Paul is over his injury struggles. If, if, that's, if that's your mindset, then I'd bet on the Suns, man, because I think the West is wide open. But um, certainly some some reasons for concern there. Uh, moving on to Golden State, you know, they they recently are coming off an overtime primetime win over the Bucks on Saturday night, which was a lot of fun. Uh, no Giannis in that game against the Bucks, but it was still cool to see Golden State be able to pull that one out. I'm certainly was certainly pulling for them as a Celtics fan uh, and someone who wants to see the Bucks lose. But um, yeah, Steph is good. He's back. He's back from his injury. He's played four games. They're two and two in that span, but he's been pretty awesome. He's been averaging 33 points a game. He's right back to his old self. There's really no concern about that. But there is concern with essentially the rest of the roster. Um, as I mentioned in previous podcasts, Clay has been really awesome for basically the entirety of the season now. So I think, you know, if you're an optimistic Warriors fan, you're, you're you know, kind of patting yourself on the back that the version of Clay you're going to get during this upcoming, you know, hopefully playoff run is going to be a better version of Clay than, you know, what you had last season for sure. Um, but again, there's still some really weird stuff going on with the team and it really starts and ends with Andrew Wiggins. Um, you know, for those that don't know, he's, he's missed 11 games just due to a personal matter. Um, it, you know, the Warriors are saying all the right things here. You know, they're saying he's, he's dealing with the personal matter. It's been reported also as a family matter. Um, we really don't have any other additional information on that. So that's, that's great for Wiggins and, and his family. Hopefully whatever they're going through, um, you know, he's able to return quickly, but there's still not a timetable on a return. Um, it's really difficult for a team in the spotlight to keep this stuff under wraps for as long as they have. So um, at this point, I don't even know if and when you can expect him back. But what I can say is if they don't have him, then you can write off Golden State. Like, it doesn't matter if the rest of the team is healthy. You know, they're not, you know, they were the best team last year. I'll certainly admit that as a Celtics fan, I feel like the best team won the championship. But they had to have a lot of things go in their way because, you know, while the West is kind of a dumpster fire right now, no one's going to sit sit around and say that there's not a lot of talent in the West. And certainly coming out of the Eastern Conference, I think they're going to be, you know, would be facing a really big foe in the finals. So, you know, the fact that Wiggins really has no timetable for return, that's really what is this team's success is hinging on. You know, they're still sitting at, I want to say they're sitting at sixth in the West currently. It's, it's really tight knit. Um, you know, seeds five through 12 are all within like three and a half games of each other. So things could still shake out. You know, I like Golden State to stay at the six. I, I think that they can distance themselves from the play-in teams, even with, you know, no Wiggins. I think that they can stay afloat and they should be able to avoid the play-in tournament. But it's it's pretty gross for them right now because in the absence of Andrew Wiggins, you know, they still haven't gotten Gary Payton the second healthy, who they acquired at the trade deadline in the James Wiseman deal, um, which is really concerning because again he's kind of a win now player and you have to hope that you know he's going to be able to provide what he provided you know the, basically the same level of production of what he was able to give them last postseason run uh, and they're playing andre Iguodala. you know there that's you know he's he's really a glorified you know he's a udonis haslam player coach type right now so that's certainly a strategy that they're bringing him back he's 
played in the last four games. He's averaging a whopping one point per game, which is sick. Uh, so they're really not, they're really struggling to replace, you know, the Wiggins minutes. And so, you know, it's interesting that again, you know, Kaminga has been all right, but Moses Moody has basically fallen out of the rotation. And again, I just think that they're at the point where we don't know what's going on with Andrew Wiggins. There's, there's still some health question marks with the rest of the roster. And again, I'm not writing them off if they're healthy, because if, if Wiggins come back, comes back and they, you know, have an opportunity to make a run, that wouldn't shock me at all, but they need all the pieces. They're not going to pull off some, some miracle run if they don't have all the horses in the stable. So uh, not great vibes around Golden State either. Moving on to Memphis, um, you know, we talked about them a little bit with, with RJ last week about the John Morant storyline. You know, still no clear return time for Ja. I would expect that to be maybe later this week or next week. Um, you know, again, he's dealing with some personal issues, so they've defined it. I think it's an internal team suspension is kind of how they've defined that. Um, so I, it's really up to them when he returns. I, again, I think it'll be within the next couple games here. But they're two and three in their last five games. Um, four of those have been without Jaw, so that's really not too surprising. Um, so, yeah, I mean, really the, the stuff that they're dealing with is off the court. I think from a basketball standpoint, they'll be the same team that they were before once Jaw comes back. I don't, I don't see any reason as to why, you know, they would be dramatically different. I just, you know, even when Memphis was rolling and was comfortably, you know, the two seed for most of this season, I, I don't really buy them as contenders because of their lack of playoff experience and, you know, their struggles in the half-court offense, which I talked about more when we did the team ranking of them or the tier ranking of them, rather. Uh, but what I will say is that David Roddy is a lot of fun. If you guys didn't, if you guys missed it, which I, I, there's really no reason that I was even watching this game, but I watched them play, you know, it was Grizzlies Mavericks on Saturday night. And it was a game in which had no, no Luca, no Kyrie, of, of course, no John Morant. So it was pretty bleak uh, from a star power perspective in that game. But they, they put in their rookie, their six foot four power forward, who's like 260 off the bench. Uh, and David Roddy, and he totally lit up the Mavericks, and they blew the Mavericks ended up blowing an 11 point lead, uh, and the Grizzlies pulled that one out. So again and again, I mean, throughout this jaw debacle, you know, I think that they're. I will say that the positives for Memphis is they're a really well coached team. They they keep nailing you know late first round, second round draft picks. It just become a routine for them. So from an organizational standpoint, they're going to be good for a long time. But I don't think that this is this is their year. And again, when your your superstar you know franchise player is dealing with off the court issues like what they're dealing with with Ja, um, you know, the vibes are never really good around that team. So let's move on to the Clippers. Uh, and now they were a team when I did my tier rankings that I ultimately landed on putting them in the contender tier, which I certainly didn't feel great about at the time. And now I, I certainly feel a lot worse. Um, I think this was pretty often publicized if you guys didn't see, but they went on to lose uh, their first five games since acquiring Russell Westbrook. Um, since that time, they've played a total of eight games. They've actually won their last three in a row. So I, I guess you could say that they're surging quite a bit. Um, and, and of course, I, I don't want to get on, on the Westbrook stuff too much um, because I talked about that. And, you know, again, when we did the tier ranking and everything like that. But um, what I didn't understand at that time is that, you know, I didn't like this the, the Westbrook signing, even with him in a role as like an energy guy off the bench, just someone to eat up minutes at the point guard position, all that stuff. Um, I thought they, they were getting him to play that role. Well, I was wrong because they clearly got something in Russell Westbrook where they're like, nope, this is just our point guard now. The guy starts virtually every game. He closes virtually every game for them. He's playing 30 minutes a game, and it's like they're they're on board. They're on board for the Russell Westbrook experience. I don't understand it. Um, to be honest with you, I just think that if you're a team that makes such a you – know, 
the Westbrook thing, it's like a grenade. It's like a bomb. It's like, you, you, it's so unpredictable. I mean, there's, he's certainly going to have good moments, especially when you give him 30 minutes a game. He's going to make some stuff happen. He's going to play with high energy. He's going to push the pace and attack the rim. Um, you know, he, he gives a shit. He rebounds well, all that stuff, obviously. But I just think that if you make that move, all that really says to me is that you didn't trust that your team, you know, before the deal was going to win a championship is currently constructed. And I guess you could argue that every team has that same philosophy, but I just really think that the front office and the coaching staff had real question marks about what that team could achieve. And maybe they just thought that adding Russell Westbrook to the mix was going to increase their floor and raise their floor a little bit. So, um, you know, with that, uh, you know, again, they've won their last three in a row. Kawhi has still been incredible, man. He, he's shooting the ball. He's shooting 53% from three in his last 15 games. He's, he's been the same Kawhi that I talked about. He's been super consistent. Again, he's played 13 of the last 15 games, which is, a, you know, basically the biggest accomplishment for, from what you'd want to see from Kawhi at this point. It's just him being out there on the floor. Um, just from a basketball perspective, from my standpoint, I, I think it's pretty disappointing that they don't they're playing Mason Plumley a lot too. Another guy they picked up on the deadline who I just can't stand to watch play basketball. He just plays like an absolute doofus. He shoots free throws with the wrong hand. Like, you know, clearly they like Zubac a lot, who I think does some good things. Um, but it doesn't really make sense to me that they're like, okay, well, let's just get a watered down Zubac to eat up the minutes off the bench. Like that way we always have a big in the game. I think that they're a team that actually has the horses to go small at times. Like, they could play like Nick Batum as like a small ball five. Uh, you know, you still got guys like Kawhi and Paul George that can guard the other teams like power forward and center in, in spots in which you really need them to. Um, so I wish they'd go small a bit more instead of just like always having a, a, a Ophi giant, you know, wandering around out there on the court. Like again, Zubac is fine. I think he's a good enough player. I think he does enough things well. He protects the rim, he rebounds where you're fine with him out there. But the Mason Plumlee thing, I just don't understand as much. I think they're a better team when they go small. Um, but again, you know, they've been pretty rocky, to say the least, since acquiring Westbrook. I think that they they probably don't belong in that contender tier, but that's where I put them. So uh, we'll see how that goes for them. But certainly, again, another team where, where the vibes aren't great. And so where does that bring us, right? We just went through, what, five of the top teams in the Western Conference. Again, we're saving Mavs talk for next week, and they're not even atop the Western Conference. They'd be in the play-in game if, it, if the playoffs started today. So... Where does that leave us? Well, I think many of you know. It, it leaves us with the Kings. And again, light the beam. We're going to need to light the beam because we're talking about the Sacramento Kings. Uh, they've been on fire lately. Really the only team that's, you know, trending in the right direction among these, you know, quote-unquote contenders in the West. Uh, they're 11-4 and four in their last 15 games. They're averaging 128 points per game in that stretch. Uh, granted, that number is skewed a little bit by the year. Uh, their 175-point effort against the the Clippers, which was pretty incredible that we talked about a little bit last week. Um, but they're first in offensive rating on the season. They're last in defensive rating. If that doesn't paint a full picture of, of what the Kings represent, I don't really know what does. Um, again, they're super fun to watch. They've clutched out some big wins you know, recently, namely one over the Knicks, which I watched, which was a lot of fun. Um, the Knicks have been in, on fire recently. So, you know, it's a big win for them to beat the Knicks, even if the Knicks didn't have Jalen Brunson in that effort. Um, but I think my outlook on the Kings – to be honest with you, hasn't changed all that much, despite their, them being the only team that's trending in the right direction. Um, I said in the tier ranking list that I'd be pretty surprised if they even made it out of the first round. You know, I'd probably walk that back a little bit because they are currently in the two seed, which is pretty wild. They're tied record-wise with Memphis, but it looks like they have a tiebreaker, so that's probably why they're sitting at the two. 
I think it's important for, if they want to get out of the play out of the first round of the playoffs. It's really important for them to maintain their position as a two seed. Um, I like their chances against the playing opponents, but whoever ends up at that six seed almost certainly is going to give them a run for their money um, if they have to end up playing them at the three. Like you know, for example, it's like I'd like them over the Timberwolves. I'd, I'd take Sacramento over the Jazz, over the Thunder, probably the Mavericks at this point, um, but not so much against some of the other contenders, which are on the verge of slipping down to that spot where they might even face them in the first round. You know, those being the Clippers. You know, the Warriors are in that mix. Even a healthy Lakers team. Again, I'm, I'm one of the few believers in the Lakers. Um, despite them struggling a little bit without LeBron in their past couple games. But I still think that they're a much better team since the trade deadline and a team that would give Sacramento a really hard time. Uh, I just, you know, it's the same concerns as before. There, there really isn't much that's changed on them, like, you know, their bench, namely, in addition to their defensive concerns, but their bench is pretty gross. It's it's really just Malik Monk and then, you know, Davion Mitchell is undersized, but he gives them a lot of fight on defense and um, is an absolute pain in the ass to the other team's best players. So there's certainly value in that. But, you know, their eighth, ninth guy, it, it falls off a cliff pretty quick. Uh, really, the only other two guys they play are, are Trey Lyles and, and Metu, who kind of eat up the non-Sabonis minutes. And, you know, they just kind of hope to survive those minutes. Uh, but it's pretty gross. It's just, you know, the only person, like I mentioned before, with real playoff experience is Harrison Barnes, who, of course, won a title with the Warriors. Um, and he's, you know, getting up there in age now. I just can't count on them to really, really clutch things out in the playoffs. And so... You know, where does that where does that leave us? Obviously, we'll talk more about the Mavericks next week with Ian. But, you know, that basically summarizes all the teams atop the Western Conference standings. And, you know, what does this all mean? What are the what are these slides and these you know mostly negative storylines for these Western Conference teams mean? What I would tell you if, if you're a betting guy or gal watching this podcast, I would just say pick whoever your little heart desires, because I'm sure the odds for any of those teams um, you know, obviously, as you go down, the standings are pretty low, and, and maybe there's a way to find good value there. I don't want to look into that too much because I really do think it's wide open. You know, if I had to pick a team, I would still pick Denver. They're the healthiest right now. Um, you know, I, I trust Jokic. I think this is the year that he finally has the pieces around him to achieve some playoff success. You know, there's too much going on with. We haven't seen it enough from Phoenix. You know, you know, Golden State's going through it injury wise and, and availability wise of Wiggins right now. Uh, and, and a lot of those other teams that we discussed at length, you know, they have their other issues where I just feel like Denver is, is the safest and the best bet. I think the only other team that I could even really see eventually making it out of the West would probably be the Phoenix Suns, you know, just because of, of, of the talent. And they certainly possess the most upside out of any group, but we just haven't seen it enough. So, you know, with that, I think that's really all I got for you today. You know, I just wanted to highlight how crazy it's been in the Western Conference mainly over the past couple of weeks, give my two cents on the MVP debate. Uh, as I mentioned before, too, I'll definitely do, you know, an award ceremony pod at the end of the regular season where I give my picks, um, you know, of all the major awards, give out my first team NBA. I think that'll be a fun one. We'll see if I get, I get a guest on for that. Uh, but I think that podcast will be a lot of fun. So I'll give more of my two cents in on, on it then. Um, I don't want to go with kind of the mainstream MVP discussion storyline for this particular podcast, but I uh, hope you guys enjoyed. This was a lot of fun for me to kind of give updates and it's crazy how much can change in two weeks just since we did the tier ranking. So uh, this was a lot of fun to do. Um, of course, um, you guys know where to find me, Words with Wallace, at Words with Wallace on everything, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, um, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your podcast. Be sure to rate and review the show as well. Um, that definitely helps, so I've been told. Um, but, yeah, without further ado, I'm going to hit this button, get up out of here, guys, and have a great week. I'll talk to you next week.